Well, hello and welcome to Out With, the podcast that takes you beyond the headlines and beyond our borders. I'm Hala Mohideen and we're, today we are travelling far beyond the borders of Scotland. Today we're heading to western China and a place called Xinjiang. It's a region that many might not have heard of and one which doesn't feature particularly heavily in news broadcasts rather about, uh, about China. But it is a place where human rights groups have been sounding the alarm with increasing urgency. The situation in Xinjiang has been described as a human rights atrocity with warnings that up to a million Ethnic Uyghurs have been detained in what some have described as concentration camps. So what on earth is going on and why haven't we heard more about it? Well, to explain, I'm joined from Beijing by Josh Chin. Josh is a a China correspondent and politics correspondent for the Wall Street Journal. And along with uh, his team, Josh and uh, the Wall Street Journal team have been covering this story for, for well over a year. Josh, thanks for joining us on Out With. It's my pleasure. Uh, first of all, let's put this into context. Where is Xinjiang and who are the Uyghurs? Right, right. So Xinjiang is a sort of remote, mostly desert region on the in the sort of northwestern part of China. It's basically the, China's, China's gateway to Central Asia. Um, and it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's, it's the place where if you think of the Silk Road, uh, this is the place you think of. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, you know long expanses. This is where this is where the, the sort of the camel trains were. It's a place that was dominated by by nomads mostly and traders for most of its history. And the Uyghurs are the sort of the largest ethnic minority group in Xinjiang. Uh, they're Turkic speaking, mostly Muslim. Uh, they've been in the region for for several centuries, uh, and they consider Xinjiang their homeland. And they're really culturally um, sort of closer to Central Asian groups like like Kazakhs uh, or Tajiks than they are to to, China, to Han Chinese people. But Xinjiang is still China, is it not? It's still part of China. It's not a it's not a separate country. No, no, it's it's actually, I mean, it is what's referred to in China as an autonomous region, uh, which is uh, somewhat of a, a, a misnomer. It's, it's, it's what China, it's the name China uses uh, for, for areas of the country that are dominated by or have a heavy influence of, of sort of ethnic minorities. So Tibet is also an autonomous region, uh, Inner Mongolia as well. But practically speaking, uh, the Chinese government exercises complete control in these areas. Okay, so so um, what's going on there? What's going on in Xinjiang? Why are we starting to, to to hear more about it? Right. So so basically, what's happening in Xinjiang is you have uh, the Communist Party is essentially building a massive um, surveillance state, uh, sort of sprawling surveillance state. The purpose of which is to track and then, in, in a lot of cases, detain. Uyghurs, uh, particularly Uyghurs who are who the who authorities see as uh, sort of dangerous or um, insufficiently um, insufficiently uh, loyal to the Communist Party. And basically, what's happening for a lot of those people, the the people in that category, is they're being then rounded up and sent to these sent to these internment camps. 
Which sounds pretty crazy. Sorry. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it sounds yeah. pretty mad. Um, the whole idea, well, certainly a surveillance state for starters. We'll go into that in a little bit more, more detail just to... to um, just to, to drill down to see what that means because when you know i'm sitting here in glasgow when you think of uh, you know human rights and, and and china you do think oh you know the police are watching you everywhere and so on and so forth but in xinjiang this is on a different scale but the other thing which is sounding alarm bells really is when you hear about people being rounded up and placed into camps i mean that's that's quite alarming Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it is one of these situations that you certainly did not expect to be encountering in 2018. Um, uh, I mean, you know, this, this, this is, this is sort of, this is these camps, this idea of sort of, of, of on the basis of race or religion, uh, rounding people up, um, and, and detaining them. Uh, it just, I mean, it feels like, you know, the sort of the worst parts of the 20th century, uh, but they are, but it's, but it's back. It, well, 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 we'll go into the camps in just a second. So, so how did this all start, Josh? I mean, did, did this start with the surveillance? When did this all start to uh, to kick off, as it were? Right. So basically, this all sort of started around mid-2016. Uh, and that is when the Communist Party boss for Tibet, uh, a guy named Chen Chuanghua, who sort of, who, who was very... Um, respected within the party for having uh, brought an end to this series of self-immolation protests amongst Tibetans. Um, he was he was posted to Xinjiang, uh, I guess promoted in some ways to, 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 to Xinjiang uh, to basically sort of solve this, you know, there's been a long-running conflict. Yeah, so uh, if, if we just between, rewind that, so into because I, I was yeah. in China at that time as well, um, and it was th that was when monks, and there was those big protests, uh, monks were setting fire to themselves. It was all around in the run-up to the Olympics, wasn't it, trying to bring the attention back onto, uh, onto sort of Tibet, rather. Um, right. And monks were setting fire to themselves, and essentially, so, so this Communist Party official, um, he went in in there and, and basically sorted it out did you not and and on the the, the sort of the, the strength of that sort of the success of that campaign he was then sort of moved moved over to, to Xinjiang to sort of solve the problems there in inverted commas right right and so yeah I mean yeah you'll, you'll remember I mean sort of uh in the run-up to the Olympics and then shortly after the Olympics you is when is when sort of all a lot of the most this really sort of explosive ethnic conflict happened in China. So like you said, in, in sort of 2008 before the Olympics, there were huge riots in Lhasa yeah. uh, that, were, that were sort of put down. And then shortly after the Olympics in 2009, there were massive um, race riots, basically, in Arunchi, the capital of Xinjiang, um, where many like, hundreds of people were killed on both sides. Yeah. And so sort of from that time on, the, the Communist Party has been incredibly worried about about managing sort of ethnic conflict in, in, in the peripheries, uh, in these remote regions. And so, yeah, so Chen Chuanghua was very successful uh, in, in, basic, in in essentially tamping down any kind of rebellion uh, within or protest within Tibet itself. Um, so and, and that's... So sorry, sorry. Yeah. So, so I mean, if he's um, if he's good at tamping down these sort of uh, you know these uprisings, as it were, um, that would imply if he's going to Xinjiang, there must have been some kind of uprising or discontent among this ethnic Uyghur population um, b before we started hearing of these camps and so on. Is that is is that is that right? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think uprising is a bit of a strong term, but there's definitely been discontent and there's been a long running um, independence, Uyghur independence movement in Xinjiang. Um, so the Uyghurs had, had, had at various points in their history sort of set up very short lived independent republics. Um, uh, one of them was called the uh, East Turkestan. And so there's, there's a lot of Uyghurs or a fair number of Uyghurs who sort of dream of establishing a state of an independent state of East Turkestan in Xinjiang. Um, and so over time, uh, the, you know, the, you know, sort of occasionally this group engages in sort of violent attacks and, and over time, um, it is kind of intertwined with, with some elements of, 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 uh, extremist Islam, uh, and sort of has adapted some of the tactics of, of, of Islamic terrorism. Uh, and so, and there were, there was a series of attacks sort of outside Xinjiang, which scared a lot of people, one in Beijing, another in south, Southwestern China. That's right. That was the, um, the stabbings in the railway station, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty, it was a, it was a pretty gruesome, um, attack in, in Kunming, uh, at, at a railway station. Where I, I can't remember exactly the numbers now, but I think it was something like 30 people were killed. Um, and then there was a really, another sort of, uh, uh, spectacular attack on right in the middle of, of uh, Beijing at Tiananmen Square where someone had driven a truck um, and run over a bunch of people and then the truck exploded kind of right near the, the gate to the Forbidden City. Right. Um, yeah, so that, so that stuff sort of, I mean, that definitely sort of, that rattled the party, uh, rattled Chinese people uh, and and there was a feeling that this sort of needed to get under control um, and, that, and that nothing they were doing was was really working. Um, so yeah, on the other side. Oh, oh, so so there's the feeling that they're wanting to bring this situation under control. And is this how so is this how this started the beginnings of this surveillance state that you were that you were talking about? Right, right. I think the sense was that you know they had, they had tried various things. They they couldn't get Uyghurs to to sort of accept the Communist Party, uh, the Communist Party's authority, and to you know, they've been trying to sort of in, in, induce Uyghurs to assimilate into Chinese society more. They were trying to teach them Mandarin, trying to get them to marry Han Chinese people, um, and the sort of and and it wasn't. I guess the perception was that it wasn't working. Um, and so they've now decided to go with a much he more heavy handed uh, approach, uh, much, a much, much more heavy handed approach uh, where they've set up these sort of, you know, the system that where everyone is kind of being watched all of the time. Uh, and, and then there, then the people who, who are on, who sort of end up on the bad list, you know, they, they have, they're sort of collecting data and they have algorithms that, that determine, you know, how safe, any individual Uyghur is, and if they're considered, you know, if they hit a certain threshold of unsafe, then they then they get sent to to a camp. Right. So now, obviously, surveillance is something that that, that, that we've been talking about um, it, well, here in the sure. UK quite quite a lot recently with all the the, the Facebook data mining and um, you know you've got to be careful. You don't sign out your computer in case like your webcam comes on. So right. we're starting to have this impression that, that that we're being watched a lot. That you know people are finding out more about us. Where's our privacy? Get it to, just to, just to put this in context, what's it like for the average Uyghur? under this surveillance state. Right, right, right. So, I mean, this, so this is, I mean, people talk, like, especially in London, for example, right? Like London has got the sort of the highest, one of the highest proportions of, of surveillance CCTV cameras to people. cameras, yeah, that's right. And, uh, anywhere in the world, right? I think the difference in, in 
uh, Xinjiang is it's it's sort of it's a hard surveillance, right? It's 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 in your face, um, and it's much more aggressive. And so, you know, for example, just to sort of, um, you know, if you go to Xinjiang, if you go to a room chi, um, you know, as soon as you come out of the the airport, um, there are sort of cameras everywhere, and you have to pass through, you know, security gates with. Um, or sort of to go into the airport, in and out of the airport, you have to you have to swipe your ID card, and that ma- and then there's a you know, at the security gate, and then there's a facial there's a camera that matches your face with your ID card, and these sorts of security gates are basically everywhere. So you know you want to go into a market, in, uh, into a bank, or into a hotel, uh, into your own apartment complex. Sometimes um, you have to swipe your card and and scan your face. Um, and then, and you know, it's a public transportation. You know, you know, sort of get on a bus, on a on a train. Um, and there are also sort of police who are walking around with 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 ID scanners, uh, who just handheld scanners, so they can check your ID and, and and immediately sort of check your record and if you're a safe person or an unsafe person. Um, there are also police who walk around with mobile phone with phone scanners. Um, so and they can randomly sort of select people to hand over their phones and they plug them into these these systems that scan your phone for forbidden content which is um, crazy i just sometimes the, the guys just sitting in the kitchen with me there's like jaws hanging open i think we're just wondering what would what would i do if someone asked me to hand over my phone <laughs> the phone right. probably end up somewhere unpleasant um but it, it's <laughs> so it's difficult it's difficult to kind of visualize that if you know when you're looking at this from outside, it's difficult to, to to sort of appreciate what that's like. And I guess I mean I've never been to Xinjiang. I have been to China, and um, and the, and you get used to the little things like you register at a police station when you come in. That's just part of your visa conditions whenever you come in the country. Uh, you do kind of get used to the you know the internet is much slower because it's constantly being uh, you know pages are constantly being scanned for you know sort of words that are going to sort of trigger i don't know a, a block on a page or something but it's it's it's, it's an extra level isn't it it's an extra level in, in, in xinjiang that the, the fact that people are scanning your phones to see what your messages are i've read that that some weekers have to download apps that 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 scan automatically the content of your phone i mean it is just difficult to en- envisage that it it just sounds i mean how part of me wants to say you know well how do they allow this to happen right right um you know i mean i i, I agree it's and it's and it's actually in, in some ways it's really hard to describe uh to what it's i mean i mean i'm obviously not uyghur uh but just sort of be in that environment um is really uh just unbelievably stifling and there's just sort of this sort of the sense of anxiety you get um, just kind of walking around, um, you know, just all the time. There's this, this feeling that s- somehow someone is going to perceive you as doing something wrong or see you doing something and, 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 and pull you aside and ask what you're doing and then um, and uh, ask to scan your phone and whatnot. I mean, it is it's a sort of constant anxiety. Um, and, and we'll see. I mean, it's sort of – we'll see if – I mean, how they – you know, whether they can maintain it. I mean, it's, it's sort of a new system. Um, but it is, I mean, they have total control uh, and there really isn't, I mean, they had a quite a bit of control before they instituted this system. Uh, and so there really, it really isn't much anyone there feels like they can, 
they can do about it. about it. Right. So, so, so we have so we have this sort of nightmarish system. It sounds a little bit like Blade Runner or something. Like in the future, you have to scan your face to to do your shopping and to go in and out of, of certain buildings. I'm, I'm guessing to access education and healthcare, everything is. Which you only just think, God forbid, something goes wrong. Someone presses the wrong key on a keyboard somewhere, and you end up on the on, on the on the blacklist. So let's just say you're you're living with this situation. This is now the new normal for so many people in uh, right. this part of, of of China. What happens? What, what's going on with these camps? Because we've gone beyond. Okay, we could, let's just say we accept this surveillance and we accept this as the price you pay to live in a secure a secure place. The rounding up people and putting them in re-education camps sounds like that's on another level. That's a step too far. Tell us about these camps. What, what, have you, what did you guys find out about them uh, during your investigations? Right, right. Um, so essentially, I mean, in some ways, if you think about it, the, the, these camps are kind of the natural extension of a surveillance system like this, right? Because if you're going to, you know, if you're going to surveil people, and you're going to categorize them, and then you come up with this whole list of bad people, what do you then do with those people? Um, so this is, this is one answer. This is the, uh, and basically what it is, is it's an, it's a, there are sort of a whole range of them. Um, some of them are, you know, kind of just repurposed schools, vocational schools or, or elementary schools or whatever. Um, and then they, could, they kind of go all the way up to, you know, full scale prison like structures, you know, with 20 feet high walls and, and, and sort of guard towers and barbed wire and armed guards and all that sort of thing. Um, and there are uh, estimates based on sort of government plans. Uh, the There are estimates of there are probably around between a thousand and thirteen hundred of these camps altogether, um, and then they obviously hold sort of different numbers of people depending on how big they are. Um, and basically, the the you know they're sort of people go in. Not very many people come out, but the the people who we have talked to, who have a few of them who have come out and have gotten have managed to get out of China, um, basically say that essentially it's. You know, they are subjected to basically 24 hour or, you know, I guess they get to sleep a little bit, but nearly constant uh, propaganda, Communist Party propaganda um, and, you know, sort of being made to chant slogans, Communist Party slogans, uh, study, you know, Communist Party ideology uh, and then and then also, you know, hear criticism of religion. Right. Uh, you know, so they're of, learning essentially that Islam is bad as well. Basically, yeah, yeah, and so, you know, so sort of some of the people who say that they, who, some of the people who've who've been in these camps, who've come out and who we've talked to, um, they all sort of have very similar stories. Uh, basically, what they describe is a sort of, um, you know, ethnic cleansing in a cultural sense, uh, right? Where they, they get the, the aim is to sort of wipe out Uyghur identity and replace it with a Chinese identity, uh, and that a huge part of that is is assaulting Islam, you know, and sort of saying, well, you know, basically, what is the use of religion? Uh, there is no God. Um, the Communist Party sort of can give you what you need. You don't need to turn to religion. The, now, you you mentioned something there, Josh. A lot of people go in, but not that many come out. That sounds kind of alarming. It has echoes of uh, of events that happens in the earlier part of the twentieth century, does it not? Are these unfair comparisons? Yeah, I mean, the, so the comparison is that's I mean that's a very good 
question. Um, and I think, um, you know, and partly it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a matter of semantics, a matter of language, right? Because in Chinese, the technical term for these are concentration camps, if you, if you would directly uh, translate the Chinese. Um, and that obviously conjures images of, of Nazi Germany, inevitably. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of debate about whether that's an apt comparison. I mean, certainly, um, you know, there are, you know, there are concerns about what could happen in a situation like this. But um, the general feeling is that, you know, you know, if you talk to researchers, others who've looked at this, including there's, there's one guy named Adrian Zenz, who's a German researcher who's who's one of the authorities on this mm -hmm. i mean his point is basically his, his argument which i think makes sense is that you know the, the point of these camps is not to exterminate people uh but to exterminate culture right so so there's a you kind of have to draw that distinction right um but i mean is, yeah. it, is it successful i mean how because i mean I've, i was reading up on this before uh, before we we started talking about this and some estimates got to what is it? So Ten percent of the ethnic Uyghur population has been going through these camps. Like there's numbers up to a million people going in, and you hear right. about crematoriums being built in these complexes. I mean, how successful is this program uh, being? Do the Chinese view this as a you know as a, a successful program? Right. I think it's you know it might be a little bit early to say um, either way. Um, I mean, you can obviously speculate. Um, about whether this sort of brainwashing ever works. Um, I mean, certainly, you, so amongst the people who have gotten out, there are a few, some people have gotten out, and, and, and what you hear is, um, you know, that they come out sort of broken, a lot of them, right? Mm -hmm. They're just, they're, they're sort of traumatized, and they just, they won't talk, right? So, um, so you know, if the aim is to just sort of is to spiritually break people, then sure, maybe the, the, the early indications are that they're sort of being successful. But if the aim is to actually uh, convert a you know a million people uh, into sort of happy, assimilated, basically culturally Chinese people, um, I think that you know there's a lot of skepticism that that's actually you know possible. Josh, this sounds all, it sounds pretty horrifying. Um, I'm not going to lie. Um, what do the Chinese people, what does the, the Chinese state say about this? Um, so the Chinese state, so, you know, there was a interesting um, situation last month where the, this came up at the United Nations uh, in Geneva, uh, where China was sort of basically forced to um, account for this. I mean, there was a U, there were U, there was a UN panel that heard you know heard a bunch of testimony from experts about the numbers of Uyghurs who were being put in these camps, and so Chinese officials were kind of called before this the panel, and it was kind of the first time they'd ever said anything, and they basically admitted the existence of the camps, um, which, which was somewhat surprising, but they characterized them as vocational schools for minor criminals. Um, or criminals involved in minor offenses, I think was exactly what they said. Uh, and they basically said it was, you know, these were, people were sent to these camps uh, to help them, re to rehabilitate them. Uh, and that's kind of how, and then, and since then, you know, Chinese media has kind of embraced that, that line and basically you know, doubled down on that idea. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, there, there's a, there are big questions about whether that's Legal under Chinese law to to uh, to send anyone to send people to incarcerate them 
effectively, um, even in a vocational school, uh, without without any kind of due process. But uh, but that's that's their line. Why haven't we heard more about this? Um, I, I, that's a good question. I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is that people just don't really know very much about the Uyghurs. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they've always sort of had a little bit less cultural cachet uh, in the sort of human rights story than, than Tibetans, for example. Um, you know, they don't have the charismatic leader like the Dalai Lama. and They don't have, you know, uh, the Beastie Boys or Richard Gere uh, sort of um, Seven years in Tibet, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, we need to, so, we need know, to ship the, Brad Pitt in there. That's what we need to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure that that is in case Brad Pitt's happen. listening, we are not going to send you to a re-education camp, Brad. We're not going to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's and you know, and, and partly I think I mean this is speculative, of course, right? But partly you know that might have to do with the fact that they're that they're Muslim, right? Uh, and that and that's always been a bit of a um, you know since 9/11. Uh, has always been a bit difficult, and there were actually there were Uyghur fighters who were who were uh, imprisoned in Guantanamo uh, after 9/11, who were later sort of released and and and, and you know with a, with basically kind of apologies from the U.S. government. Um, but you know that kind of I think that damaged their their um, appeal uh, as a as an international news story a little bit. Um, and the other part of it is just that the Chinese government has locked things down. I mean, it's very difficult to get. Uh, information out of Xinjiang and to see what's happening and to move around once you're there as a journalist and and the Uyghurs themselves are um, I mean I think the biggest factor is that you know Uyghurs living abroad are too afraid to say anything um, or have been at least until recently too afraid to say anything because they're afraid that their relatives will be will be sent to a, an internment camp if they say anything. So if you speak out, you risk endangering your your friends and family who are, who are still who are still in Xinjiang. Right. That's. I mean. That's. Yeah. That's right. I mean. It's, it's an explicit uh, threat that a lot of a lot of Uyghurs uh, living abroad say they've they've uh, experienced. And, you know, they've had people sort of contacting them through through WeChat, this Chinese uh, popular Chinese chat app, basically sort of saying. Um, you know, uh, you should, you know, trying to get them to come back to China um, and, and then basically saying, you know, you, if you don't, even if you don't come back, you, you have to keep quiet. Otherwise, you know, we've got, we know where your, your family lives, you know, we, you might, you know, we might send your son to a, an internment camp. Um, in some cases, they've used that kind of pressure to, to try to get Uyghurs to spy on other Uyghurs Gosh. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Crikey. Well, that. <laughs> Well, that has been illuminating, Josh. I mean, I guess it, uh, uh, this is just something that, I mean, we haven't heard a lot about it till now. We are starting to see more of, uh, more of well, your reporting and, and more of these stories coming out. Um, I guess just, you know, what are the things that we should be looking out for? I mean, are more people starting to speak out? Yeah, well, that's well, then that's one interesting thing that's happened recently is as basically this, you know, the camp system as the camp system has grown and the surveillance has gotten worse, and there are more and more people being sent to the camps. I think there's a perception amongst Uyghurs that that, it, that no matter what they do, their family members have are could end up in the camps because one of the criteria to be put on this unsafe list is if you have relatives abroad. Mm-hmm. So just by being abroad, they they their you know their relatives are already on this list. Um, and, and a risk. So the sense is that they don't actually have as much, maybe they don't have much to lose anymore. So you have many, many more Uyghurs speaking out. 
Um, and and you're starting to get a little bit more of a reaction in the you know in the international community. The, so the UN, uh, like I said, had this panel, uh, and then after that panel, they they, they issued a, a, a call for China to release the Uyghurs. Um, some members of Congress recently uh, uh, called on on the, the Trump administration to sanction. Uh, the Chinese officials who were involved in, in all of this, including Chen Changuo, the, the party secretary who was in mm-hmm. Tibet earlier. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what comes of that. Um, I'm not, you know, some people are skeptical that the uh, that the Trump administration will do anything to to, to help Muslim population, but but uh, you never know. Well, Trump administration certainly has a lot on its plate just now, as I'm sure uh, you do as well, Josh. I'm very aware we've been keeping you uh, we've been keeping you on the line for quite some time. So, um, just before we go, is there anything that um, is there anything that you would for people who want to find out more about this? Is there anywhere you think they should be going for information? Things that they want to um, things that you think people should know before we let you go. Oh, you mean besides the, the Wall Street Journal website? The Wall Street Journal website, for anyone who doesn't know, is WSJ.com. Right, right, right. It's easy to remember. Um, <laughs> I, you know, there's, um, there's actually, besides, besides obviously, our, our website. Um, the excellent reporting on the Wall Street Journal, yes. Thanks. <laughs> uh, there's actually a great uh, summary of kind of all of this on a website called SUP China, that's S-U-P China dot uh, com, I believe. Yeah. Um, they have they they kind of pulled together a, a, a really comprehensive and nicely organized sort of one stop shop for everything kind of Xinjiang and Uyghurs and surveillance. Uh, so that is if you if you if you're interested in, in getting up to speed on that, that's that's the place to go. Absolutely. And I can also recommend, um, if, if, if with your permission, Josh, uh, Josh has done two fantastic video pieces on this. Uh, one, uh, just exploring the Chinese surveillance state in detail. And there's a, there's an, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll send this out on our, on our Twitter, Josh, an excellent video where you can see um, people's IDs um, on a QR code being burned onto a knife, proving that that knife is belonging to uh, a certain individual. It's a, it's a staggering video. I do recommend you guys watch that. And of course, Josh, you're on Twitter at Josh Chin. That's correct? Yep. That is correct. So we follow you for all things China. And uh, of course, um, Josh's articles are in the Wall Street Journal. Thank you so much, Josh. It's been brilliant talking to you today. And uh, thanks for for letting us know a little bit more about what's happening in this uh, corner of the world. Many of us weren't aware existed until now. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for the the opportunity, Al. It's a pleasure. Okay. And remember, subscribe to the uh, Outwith podcast. We are on Twitter as well. And if there's anything that you want to, you want us to explore in more detail, do get in touch. And we look forward to seeing you all again next week. Bye bye.